I finished my application for one university in Boston. I'm waiting for the other one to open their application. Yay! Boo. Move here. I'm Everybody like, move here. I'd be so poor. I'm like, how would I survive? Please keep me. True. The rent here, though? I'm like. You can live in our building. It's like somewhat reasonably priced. Although, um, Evan's cousin and his friend came from upstate New York, and we were telling them how much we pay in rent. And I think they just about pooped their pants. No, you told me and I was like, before, and I was shocked. <laughs> yeah. I pay less. I, I could not imagine. I feel like I'm used to it now, and considering that I know what other places... Like, there are studio apartments that are worse than our apartment mm-hmm. that cost, like, just $100 less a month. Wow. So, we just lucked out. Yeah, we, you we guys really have did. a really but at the same time, nice place. It's big. No air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> no dishwasher. Well, that uh, <laughs> what else don't we have? We have not in unit washer and dryer, but there are some in the building, but they're terrible. So, yeah. But we have hardwood floors. So, see, yay. my place, I have two rooms. I have air conditioning, a washer and dryer, and a dishwasher. Which and is I pay all more I in rent than you, right? Yeah, yeah you do. And we, I, I feel like I'm over overpaying in the place that I'm at now, but. Well, we in Denver had that one apartment that wasn't huge, but it was still a one bedroom. Mm-hmm. And we paid $1,000 a month for a one bedroom. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? $1,000 a month. You can't even get a studio for that much my, around here. Yeah, my f- Are you saying it's a lot or a little? <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a little. $1,000 a month for a one bedroom apartment? That's like insane. My That's so first, cheap. My first place here was one bedroom, no air conditioning, um, no washer dryer, basically what you've described your place being like and a community or communal washer situation. Um, mm-hmm. And that was 1095. And I cried pretty much signing that lease because oh I, like, I was like, this is so much money because I came from freaking Alabama and my last place was a top floor. Oh, yeah. What was it like three dollars a month for a like top, a five bedroom house? It was a top floor <laughs> apartment, two bedrooms, two bath, washer dryer, everything that you could possibly dr- like dream of and i lived with lived there with jarell and it was 700 dollars a month oh my god <laughs> like and so that was my i think we need time. to stop talking about rent i'm starting to have regrets about living here <laughs> oh believe me it's much you're much better off there culturally than yes. living in Alabama. well that's that's the thing that you have to remember about boston is that you're paying for the city but yeah. it's hard to remember that during quarantine time Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show, tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show. And give us a follow on social media at pinkcollar underscore pod. Right. 
everyone should leave a review for our podcast i felt really bad because my sister texted me and was like i want to leave you a review so you'll donate a dollar but she um has an android so you can't leave reviews on spotify oh well i mean if you don't have an iphone um when you're in a public place uh wait for someone to like leave their iphone unattended steal it and then write a review on it exactly don't actually do that but um (laughs) if you have a a family member or close friend that has an iphone just take it you know just be like hey i need to leave a review because i need to donate to charity that's what this exactly (laughs) i stole evan's phone and gave us a five-star review but i didn't write a review because i don't know what to say i guess like i could write (laughs) something really nice about you and then just like (laughs) that would make me i I don't want to compliment myself it wouldn't feel right (laughs) i mean i feel like it'd be a little disingenuous for us to write our own reviews so you guys have to do it to make us feel better what's our actual topic this week oh yeah our topic this week (laughs) is ghosts is that is that what you think it is am i wrong (laughs) <laughs> so my so mine like the ghost part is more or less an afterthought oh see but. for mine the ghost part is like the main part so it balances out okay mine i don't know if i can count it as traditionally true crime but a lot of people died so i was like you know what we'll let this one slide also by the time oh go ahead i was just gonna say by the time everyone listens to this is listening it'll be october 1st which means it's halloween month and i love halloween and i love fall do you love halloween no 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 i do not then why did you agree to do like a whole halloween themed month <laughs> because you're my friend and you Aww, wanted to do this that's so nice <laughs> i on the other hand have already had my halloween decorations up um and i'm really excited i love halloween i love candy <laughs> i love dress well not so much anymore when i was a youth I enjoyed dressing up, but now I am old and, you know, I just don't. I don't want to go out on Halloween because it's arguably, arguably, arguably one of the worst (laughs) holidays to go out to like bars in or parties. It's Halloween, New Year's, Black Wednesday, whatever, Thursday, no, Wednesday. That's the one that's before Thanksgiving. Because then you have to see everyone from high school in your hometown. That just sounds awful. But <laughs> I think Halloween will be fun for me again, going out-wise, like once I have children and can take them trick-or-treating. But either way, I love Halloween. And I feel like true crime and, and Halloween go hand in hand. Like people like creepy, Horror. spooky things. So yeah, like true crime can definitely go yeah. in that direction. So we did... Yeah ghosts or like crimes that had to do with hauntings oh (laughs) i feel like mine doesn't really meet this you know what whatever you did is great and i so my person committed a crime and is believed to haunt where she committed the crime No, that's exactly what it is that's exactly what i envisioned with with this there was someone I, I do want to give an honorable mention to a case that I did want to do, but I just could not find enough information about it. Um, 
the ghost of Queen Esther. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, no. She was, I guess, this Native American woman who um, sometime around the time where white people were here, (laughs) like, starting out Mm -hmm. and Native Americans were also just trying to live their lives. Um, She found out that her son had gotten killed. And so she, like, had her village her people like kill a whole village and then um like it started a war but then once she saw that her people were losing the war she kind of hulked out and started crushing people's heads oh my and now goodness. she and now she haunts um that area but there's like that's basically just a blurb there's not much more oh, information wow. than that but honorable mention to queen esther yeah that that would be cool kind of badass that's you know <laughs> you were defending your your territory so Um, I believe it is your turn to go first this week, so take it away. Yes, ma'am. I am doing a case that I feel like, so I've heard this name before, but I never actually knew the details of the case, and so you're probably, or you might be familiar, um, Lizzie Borden. I don't know. Um, You've never heard of Lizzie Borden before? No, I've heard of it, but I didn't know, like, the case. I've heard of Lizzie Borden did something bad. Oh, my gosh. This know. is too funny. I think it's in <laughs> Massachusetts. The case takes place here. Yeah. You can in go Fall stay River, at the house. You can. Why are you spoiling my okay, case? Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> enjoy your sauna while I tell my story. I will. Um. So, in 1860, Lizzie Borden was born in Fall River, Massachusetts. How far is that from Boston? Uh, I don't know. I want to say, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Next time I visit, we should go. Oh, wait. Were you quizzing me, or were you, like, genuinely curious? Genuinely curious. Oh, I was just guessing. I think it's, like, an hour away. That's fine. Massachusetts, (laughs) as a state, is not very large, so. Yeah. Whatever. Let's go. Let's do it. And Salem, too, I think. Yeah. Just do a spooky tour. Um, okay. Cool. Do your story. Sorry. <laughs> we can we can record on location. <laughs> oh, we can stay in the Lizzie Borden house. Oh, that's... We'll I don't see. know if that's weird or not. Okay, anyway, continue. We'll see about that because if it is haunted... <laughs> Wait, before we get... Before there? you continue, do you believe in ghosts? I believe that there are things in this universe that want to do me harm. <laughs> Living so. or... <laughs> otherwise (laughs) so maybe it's a ghost maybe not i mean my rational brain tells me not to believe in ghosts it tells me not to believe in any of anything supernatural right um whether that's magic or anything but like i'd be lying if i'm like well because we have no way of proving it one way or the other is it not outside of the realm of possibility i don't know so i mean that's my reason I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I don't want to say definitively that I don't because I feel like a ghost might hear that and be like, I'll show you. <laughs> so that's yeah, why I exactly. say maybe, otherwise I don't. But maybe exactly. ghost listening. Well, do you believe in aliens? Uh, Well, like, yeah, but aliens... Like extraterrestrial life forms that would come here and like enslave us. Uh, Maybe not that, but I, I believe that there are probably <laughs> other forms of life, life somewhere. Yeah. Okay, cool. You and Jarrell should talk. Yeah, Jer- actually, Jarrell, I, I have a lot of thoughts about 
Well, existence of aliens is actually a huge Mm -hmm. topic in philosophy. So um, there's just a bunch of ideas about... Well, my thing is that aliens are so far away that they don't know how to contact us. We don't know how to contact them. And also, why would aliens want to take us? I don't know. (laughs) I have an even more outlandish theory, which is like, you know, sure, maybe we've been on Mars and they're like, there's no aliens here. But like, what if they're just invisible? No, like, what if they're just, what if the whole city, what if they're just really small city is there and you just can't see it? You know what's kind of a strange conspiracy <laughs> theory that I have that I don't know? is It's probably false, but I have a conspiracy theory that aliens are just humans that are dropped. Like, or humans are aliens that were just dropped off onto this earth. Because we don't mesh well with everything else that's here. Because humans, like, build things. We might... We might be. So sometimes, sometimes I watch like uh, nature documentary thingies before I go to bed, um, and sometimes they'll show me animals that I'm like, "What the hell is this thing? Like, it looks so insane." And so my thought is that there are animals on this planet that are aliens that were just like dropped off here <laughs> and now inhabit the ocean. <laughs> the ocean? Well, yeah, the ocean's messed up, man. We don't even know yeah, what's who knows what's, what's down, down there. there. Also, Gary is 100% an alien. She totally is an alien. Oh, really? (laughs) What if, see, what if cats are aliens because cats came here and they get people to take care of them and they give us nothing back in return? You know, like Egyptians used (laughs) to worship the cats. Maybe it's because the cats were like, maybe they were aliens and we're all just. Maybe the cats were enslaving them. (laughs) literally gary does nothing she just sits here all day and she bites me and swats me and i still feed her and provide her with shelter she doesn't even hunt mice pretty similar (laughs) ollie's well dogs provide protection like if someone broke into our house gary would probably like let like be like hey pet me as long as they had treats but dogs will like defend you Right? Isn't that, in theory, what no, dogs are supposed I, to do? Like, Drell and I have had this conversation countless times. We believe that Ollie would literally lay down in front of the person who's trying to harm us and try to get him to, like, rub Ollie's belly. Like, Ollie does not care. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't bark. He doesn't make no... Like, he's just like, I just want oh. somebody to love me. So <laughs> Right. See, I think you're less right. likely to be the victim of robbery if you have a dog that barks, but... Come on, yeah. Ollie. Okay, Whatever. back to the... <laughs> anyway. Strange so, opinions aside in, of, on things. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1860, Lizzie Borden was born in Fall River, Massachusetts. Lizzie's father was relatively successful as he managed several textile mills and was president of a bank. Um, and he owned a lot of commercial property. So for reference, when he died, the value of his estate was $300,000, which is $8.5 million today, which just makes me wonder how much would he have to pay in taxes? Topical. (laughs) Oh, shots fired. However, 
Andrew was also he also grew up in a well-to-do family, but he was still made to suffer and struggle financially. And so he so growing up, Lizzie kind of experienced something similar to this. So, for example, the home that she lived in with her father and mother didn't have any indoor plumbing or electricity, which was something that was really commonplace for other wealthy, wealthy families in that area at the time. And so. Unfortunately, Lizzie's mom passed away in 1863 when Lizzie was three years old. And in 1866, uh, Andrew remarried a woman named Abby. Lizzie did not have a great relationship with her stepmother and referred to her as Mrs. Borden and rarely ate dinner with her parents. I personally, if my stepmother wanted me to refer to her as Mrs. Borden, I'd probably call her an expletive exclusively was it that That'd be, was be so it that, that um <laughs> she wanted her to call her that or was it that she was so like it was a sign of disrespect to say i'm not going to call you mom i'm going to call you mrs borden well i don't know would it be a sign of disrespect to not to not call someone who's not your mom mom like i don't know it might be. but if that was maybe if that was her motive if she was being told to call her mrs borden i'd be annoyed with that um but i could also see it as like i just don't really like you and so i'm just gonna put distance between us by calling you mrs borden um which is i guess whatever is fine but anyway in 1892 the borden's barn had become a bit of a hangout for some pigeons lizzie seemed to like the pigeons being there and went as far as building them a roost lizzie's father andrew however was not a fan and he felt like the pigeons attracted local kids to their property. So he did the only reasonable thing that he could think of. He killed the pigeons with a hatchet. That was sarcasm. Killing pigeons with a hatchet is not reasonable at all. Please do not kill pigeons. Did you ever notice how you never see baby pigeons? I feel like I don't really see baby birds. (laughs) Yeah, it's because they like hide away. That's like a thing that that I learned oh. that I think it was from the Freakonomics podcast is apparently like <laughs> adolescent baby pigeons like hide themselves. I respect that. If I had a baby, I would hide it. Maybe that wasn't as fun of a fact as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, well, um, nonetheless, th- did they even did they eat the pigeons or was it just a straight pigeon murder? He just murdered them. Do you? Yeah, I don't think you want to eat a pigeon. Probably not. <laughs> um so so this upset lizzie very much and so for the next few months tensions continued to grow in the borden household the murder of those pigeons compounded by the fact that andrew was gifting lavish real lavish real estate to random members of abby's family so lizzie's stepmother's family just caused a huge rift in the family Um, After Andrew gifted Lizzie's step-aunt a house, Lizzie and her sister Emma demanded that her father give them property too. So, for the whopping cost of $1, Andrew sold them a home, the home that they lived in with their mother. Um, And so, I don't really understand the detail of this, but they later sold the home back to their dad for $5,000, which is $143,000 today. So, I guess a lot. Um, and so one night Lizzie and her sister Emma's uncle, um, I think his name was John, uh, he arrived. So this was their mom's, their 
birth mother's um, brother. And so he arrived for a visit to discuss business and property. Historians speculate that whatever they discussed regarding property that day just worsened the already bad situation in that, in that house. And so the following morning, their uncle left on an errand and their father went for a walk. The women, along with their maid, Bridget, who went by Maggie, because why not, um, <clears throat> were left to do their chores um, sometime around 9 and or sometime between 9 and 10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Abby, Lizzie's stepmother, was hit in the head with a hatchet. She was upstairs making a bed and somebody came in and hit her in the head with a hatchet. She immediately fell to the ground and whoever hit her with the hatchet continued to hit her 17 more times in the head with said hatchet. Abby, unfortunately, but unsurprisingly, died. And so, right as that murder was ending, I guess, at 10.30 a.m., Andrew came back home. And so, he, like, I read that he wasn't able to get into the house using the door that he was trying to get into. And so, Bridget or Maggie tried to open the door, but the door was jammed. And so she yelled out in in frustration and she heard Lizzie laughing at the top of the stairs in response to her yelling out in frustration. Um, I don't know what the details were, but eventually Andrew was able to get into the house. And according to Lizzie, he wanted to take a nap on the sofa. And so she helped him take off his boots and he laid down and went to sleep. Bridget also said that she felt tired, and so she went up to her bedroom on the third floor. So keep in mind, Abby is currently dead on the second floor, and the dad is asleep on the first floor. So Bridget's upstairs asleep. And so um, at 11.10 a.m., so about 40 minutes after the dad got home, um, Lizzie yells to Bridget, or Maggie and says, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. And they found Andrew on the couch dead. And it looked like he had been hit with the hatchet about 10 or 11 times. And so, of course, um, Bridget called the police or I don't know if they have phones back then. The police got there and they investigated. <laughs> she didn't send a pigeon. <laughs> no pigeons, unfortunately. Um, Do you like my joke? Yes, it was good. (laughs) Very good. Lizzie's statements to the police were confusing and sometimes contradictory. So, for example, she said that she helped her father um, take off his boots before his nap. But in the crime scene photos, which are readily available, um, he's clearly wearing his boots. Um, And so her story would just change throughout the course of the investigation. Um, Another thing that is also contradictory was that Lizzie had claimed at one point that she was like ironing in one room um like at the time of what would have been Abby's death but if Bridget really did hear her at the top of the stairs that means she had a clear view to where Abby was literally laying on the ground on the second floor dead and so yeah a lot of things just didn't add up in terms of Lizzie's story or her alibi um and so more most of the officers who spoke with lizzie were a little suspicious of her demeanor as she was quote too calm and poised and as we always say like i mean she could have if she didn't do it it's still possible that she could have been calm like shock takes people in different ways but either way they were suspicious um in addition 
Oh, and so generally speaking, the police work in this case was not great. It like pales in comparison to the police work of like the last case that I did of those London police officers. Um, they just didn't really. Oh yeah. They just didn't really do that great of a job. So, um, for example, they were suspicious of Lizzie, and so they searched her room for as evidence. But at no point did they actually search Lizzie's body for anything like blood spatter or anything like that. And so, given how gruesome the murder was, whoever did it would have gotten blood on them somehow. Especially given that the time of death for Lizzie's father was 11 a.m., and she called to Bridget less than like 15 minutes later. And there were no reports of anyone in bloody attire just walking down the street outside. And they didn't find any clothing with blood on it in or near the property. It's possible that Lizzie was still literally wearing that bloody clothes. Like, she could have just put on other layers of, like, dresses, you know? Yeah, they all wore, like, yeah. a ton of layers back then. Yeah, and so, so but they, like, sense. did not check her at all. And they, at the very least, the police admit that they didn't do a good job um after they came under scrutiny they're like yeah we kind of suck which is great self-awareness is important <laughs> um and so in the basement the officers found two two axes uh two whole hatchets and one broken hatchet um they believed that the broken one had to have been the murder weapon because the break in the um handle was fresh and um but for whatever reason they didn't take any of the axes or hatchets away as like evidence or anything i mean i know that they they didn't have actual forensic csi stuff but i don't know keeps from like further manipulation they of had the fingerprinting though right i have no idea i mean it's also possible though that if lizzie was the killer like she could have touched those hatchets at any point in life but that's true when did but fingerprinting you would think that there would be because of <laughs> I'm not sure. I uh, I've read about it before, but at the very least, if I'm just thinking about the murder weapon and the the gruesome nature of these crimes, is wouldn't you expect there to be like blood spatter, and then the blood spatter would leave fingerprints of some sort on the hatchet? Yeah, you'd think it seems like it was cleaned. So the way the hatchet, the broken one, was found, it seemed clean. But unlike all of the other hatchets, it some it looked like somebody had like poured dust and ash on top of it to make it look like nobody had touched it in a really long time. But because the break was so fresh, like the break wasn't stained, like the inside part, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's like clearly this looks like it was. Well, yeah, you would here. think that. But if it was broken by them, like murdering someone wouldn't you see blood within the stain I don't, or like within the I think blood stain she, in the crack of the wood i think that she broke it after she cleaned it because maybe there's evidence on the other half oh. of it yeah and so i think like maybe she wasn't okay. able to get like some blood out or didn't want that part where she held it to show fingerprints or something and like threw it into a fire because everybody apparently has fires during these times um <clears throat> i guess that's yeah. the floridian and me talking flyer places are not a thing where i grew up um and so <laughs> uh yeah so they didn't take any of the axes in immediately i think they came in, they came for them like maybe three or four days later it was ridiculous um and so two days after the murders however the mayor 
visited the Borden house and informed Lizzie that she was the prime suspect of the murder. The next morning, a friend of Lizzie and Emma, who had been staying with them since um, the murders, walked in on Lizzie, tearing up a dress and putting it in the, in the fire. The friend, I think her name was Alice, um, she was like, yo, Lizzie, what you doing? This is kind of suspicious. You look a little sketchy. And Lizzie was like, oh, I'm just doing this because this dress is covered in paint. Obviously, paint is the reason I'm burning this, not because it's covered in my father's blood. Um, Red paint? (laughs) Probably. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, And so on August 11th, so about, I think that was exactly one week after the murders, a warrant was issued for Lizzie's arrest and she was taken in. Uh, there's a lot of details of the trial. Apparently, they do an inquest and then a trial, grand jury, all of these things. I did not go through all that. I read it, but I was like, this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm giving you a truncated version of this trial. Um, so We're a crime podcast, not a trial podcast. <laughs> exactly. So. I gave you a details of the crime, guys. You're welcome. Um, and so during the trial, a detailed timeline was laid out Um and the key person who was instrumental in laying that timeline laying that timeline out was Bridget slash Maggie the maid um, because she was in the house the majority of the time when both of those murders took place and so um, she was able to say the time that they had breakfast the time that the dad went on a walk when he came back and all of these things and so um, they painted a pretty clear picture for, with that um, the uncle john he was also there he had also left on an errand at the same time that her dad had left and so he was able to provide a clear-cut alibi that some investigators felt like was a little too detailed and so they were also a little suspicious that maybe he actually was the um murder but things pointed more towards lizzie um and so all of these things were used to create a detailed um, outline of what happened that day and that was all used against lizzie others also testified it testified to lizzie's odd behavior following the murder so in particular burning her dress and then also the fact that lizzie just kept changing her story in like wildly like different ways putting herself in different parts of the house or doing different things during that day that just made it seem like she was changing her story um and also during the trials the skulls of andrew and abby were submitted as evidence and shown to the jury in the courthouse causing lizzie to faint which i think is absolutely insane that they showed the actual skulls but i guess this is how you do it back then um and so all of that evidence unfortunately i think lizzie wasn't really able to testify because she was on some sort of regular dose of morphine to calm her nerves which means whatever she would say would be like inadmissible because i guess she was high (laughs) and so Yeah. yeah and so she the jury heard all of the evidence and after an hour and a half of deliberation the jury acquitted lizzie of killing her father and stepmother um and so afterwards it was popular belief that lizzie did commit the murders um this i read a few things where they're like this case was like as big as what oj was in the 90s which it also took place in the 90s just the 1890s fun fact 
Um, but <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> anyway, um, and so Lizzie was basically ostracized from society. Everyone's like, yeah, you probably killed your parents. Stay away from me. And so she changed her name. Barely. She decided to go by Lizbeth A. Borden, which I'm <laughs> like, you still sound like you're Lizzie Borden to me. So I don't know. Um, I don't know how much that helped. She also, like, at least change your right? last name. She also moved from that house, of course, into a house in the, like, basically in the same neighborhood, like in, like, Ball River. So she didn't go far. And so I'm like, people still knew who you were. They had cameras back then. There were pictures of you. <laughs> Did she have the money, though, to, to move somewhere farther away or the means yeah, to do because, that? Yeah, so, because of the timeline, um, Abby, her stepmother, died first. And so, by law, all of her assets went to Andrew, who died 40 minutes later. And so now Andrew became even richer and then he was murdered and so all of his assets including abby's assets went to lizzie and her sister and so he was mm. you know at the time of his death alone was a three hundred thousand heir so, <laughs> so <laughs> um so she was she was wealthy um and so yeah but she just moved to a new house basically down the road um and she did her new house have indoor plumbing? I hope so, because I, like, air, no air conditioning is one thing. No indoor plumbing. That's a travesty. Um, and so she, like, relatively stayed out of headlines, I guess, but she did have some sort of shoplifting incident that made people, you know, side-eye her again. Like, there goes that Lizzie breaking the law again <laughs> and um this isn't funny but she died of pneumonia in 1927 and the home that she lived in with her parents where andrew and abby were murdered was eventually turned into the lizzie borden bed and breakfast in fall river massachusetts and as rachel spoiled for us legend has it that lizzie still haunts the halls <laughs> that's wild yeah that's wild that it's a bed and breakfast. See, I don't... I find bed and breakfasts to be creepy in general. But... The true crime person in me thinks that's, like, really cool. But the other realistic person in me recognizes that that's this, like, a grisly, horrible crime happened there. And I really hate glorifying yeah. crimes. So I'm torn. Here, here's a question. Would you move into an apartment or buy a home that you knew somebody died in or was murdered um, in? If there was no, if it wasn't because the area was unsafe. Okay, so if I knew somebody died in it, maybe depending on the circumstances, if they were murdered, I still think I would need to know a little bit more about the circumstances. Like, for instance, if a... <laughs> Like, if, if a mother, like, murdered all of her kids and husband, I probably wouldn't want to stay there. Well, well then. I don't know if I, if I would. Well, I'm, I'm like saying hypothetically, if a murder took place, but in a way that you knew that you would not be, like, in danger. Like, if it was someone who, like, murdered their spouse yeah. or... 
I like mean, they knew the other person so it wasn't just that like random real, killings yeah happened realistically there. i probably would not want to live there if like if i was you know visiting a house and a real estate agent was like oh yeah the person here they were slaughtered i'd probably be like okay next house i'm good um but if i just didn't know and i already like bought it and moved in and then found out i would like I'd probably bear and grin it. Like I just bring a priest, yeah. do do some, throw some holy water, say a couple prayers, and like hope it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. What about you? I don't. I don't know how. I'd have to be actually presented with the. Situation. I also think it's well. That's the part of me that's like I don't know if I believe yeah. in ghosts. I also, I, I mean, I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in like bad like energy in some places and so that would kind of more so be my um yeah concern i also do think it changes it if it's like an apartment like if somebody was murdered in a rental versus a home that i'm gonna buy because like right. okay i can sign a lease and get out of it but if i buy this house it's mine and it's a lot harder or like yeah can i stay here for a while and see if it's <laughs> super haunted and creepy feeling and if not but like if it's a home yeah. then you're kind of locked in uh yeah i don't know i've i've always thought about that but well i'm sure there's definitely been my apartment building is quite old people have definitely died in here i don't know about murders taking place yeah. but i rather people just definitely not know. a lot of yeah. old people live here <clears throat> just wow yeah. anyway cool <laughs> could move on to my case so it ended up not i don't know it doesn't 100 percent classify as crimes but i have a lot of interesting facts that i think that make up for it cool. so i i'll do it and then you tell me at the okay. end your opinions and everyone else let me know but i think it ended up okay. being pretty cool so i did the case of bloody mary which Ooh. is very spooky i think have you ever played bloody mary before yeah is that the thing where you say it in a mirror or something right there's yeah. different variations of it so i believe when i was a kid you would go into a mirror and, and like the lights would be off and you would say three times i do believe in bloody mary i do believe in bloody mary i do believe in bloody mary and then she would like appear did she ever appear for you i don't know i feel like i was chickened out before getting all the way um, or like it was more like i i just don't I don't believe in, like, summoning ghosts. Like, I never I, did Ouija boards or anything. I can um, honestly say that she never appeared for me. So, <laughs> there we well, go. Well, yeah. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> but she's a ghost, so maybe I just didn't see her. I'll, I'll go into the history of Bloody Mary a little bit. Okay. Um, but first, I start off by talking about the, the drink in my case. Um, so the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Bloody Mary is perhaps the famous cocktail. A Bloody Mary consists of vodka, tomato juice, um, other spices. It can also include Worcestershire sauce, not to be confused with Worcester or Worcester in a <laughs> Massachusetts, <laughs> onion, celery, garlic, lime juice. Uh, I don't know. Some people put like chicken wings and hamburgers on top of Bloody Marys. Do you like Bloody Marys? Uh, not really. Um, I've had one, but I'm like, why would I want to drink this tomato juice? It's gross. <laughs> That's my opinion. I'd rather have, if I'm going to have tomato juice, why would I want it to be cold? I'd want it to be warm and I want it with grilled cheese. Um, 
It's gross. Anyway, so the Bloody Mary was invented, the drink, uh, in 1921 when French bartender Fernandad, Fernandad, I don't think there's an eye in that, Petois, who was working in the New York bar in Paris, combined vodka and tomato juice to make a cocktail. Some people believe that the Bloody Mary earned its name from Hollywood star Mary Pickford, who I've never heard of, and others say that it was named after a waitress named Mary who worked at a Chicago bar called the New Delaware, but its nickname was Bucket of Blood. So the Bucket of Blood bar in Chicago was owned by George B. Dugdale, whose wife, Heaven Dugdale, was like indicted for the death of Mary Benzie as a result of a botched abortion. So that was like a fun true crime fact that I didn't even expect, which totally fits within the guidelines of our podcast because it was a woman. Um, Helen was a midwife who had also been accused of performing an illegal operation on Mary Copsty. Same Mary that the drink was named after? I'm not sure, but I don't know if Heaven Dugdale was a bad person. I think, you know, abortion was illegal back then and people had to make difficult choices so i don't know that helen was necessarily a bad person but nonetheless it's not safe always to have abortions not done by a medical professional so there was some true crime that that happened around there also the bar nickname the bucket of blood came from the fact that um when they were cleaning the bars at night and like dumping the water out onto the streets it was like bloody water that would like stain the sidewalks with blood because at this time the bar was filled with so many like seedy people and there were like fights and stabbings that by the end of the night the floor would just be covered in people's blood so that's why they called it the bucket of blood bar isn't that fascinating it is and also gross (laughs) but uh so that's just talking about the drink i thought that was all very interesting Um, But so Bloody Mary is, the name now is associated with many historical figures, perhaps the most well-known being Queen Mary I of England. Um, So just a disclaimer, I was really bad at world history uh, when I took it in high school. I was in honors world history. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. And this was the only class in high school that I almost failed. so in my defense literally everyone has the same name and everyone back then all married their cousins uh but i would just recommend that you check my sources i try to be as accurate as i could but i recognize that i'm just bad at this i mean i'm pretty good at history i was yeah i was very good at it at school and i liked it and the whole all any all of the royals are confusing because like mary here and then like mary queen of scots and mary and Whatever. there's Roman numerals. Like there's, yeah, there's just so many. Who knows? It's like the guys. Popes. I did my best. <laughs> um, so if it's not 100, and also it's like an old case, kind of. Mm-hmm. So if people, or there's all kinds of conflicting information out there. So if you're a history buff, please don't judge me. I'm doing my best. Um, but Mary the first, she was born February 16th in 1516. Her father was Henry the Eighth, and her mother was Catherine of Aragon. Out of their five children, Mary was the only one to survive past infancy. Um, So there was already a lot of tension and resentment in this family. The royals 
obviously always desired to produce a son to carry on their legacy, so Henry was getting pretty annoyed that Catherine couldn't provide. When Mary was six years old, she was betrothed to Charles V, the King of Spain and Holy Roman Empire, who was also her cousin. <laughs> so they legitimately did marry their cousins. Um, but not in this case. The engagement was called off after three years. You know, Mary was getting pretty old. She was nine. So uh, Charles wanted someone younger. I'm just kidding. Um, but dang, why would you get your child engaged at 60 or six? six years old that's so i love all of the like i watch any show that is based on royal whatever but when i don't know do you ever heard of the show rain it's about mary queen of scots and so her and like the prince of france they were betrothed to each other at like like when she was like 10 days old or something it was like absurd And then, back then, they allowed you to do marriage by proxy, so they'd have, like, two, like, adults, like, pretend to be you and, like, marry, and that meant you guys were married, but you still would have to, like, like solidify it at some point. But, yeah, they had those two children married by proxy as, like, babies or something. It's absurd. Right. And I understand <laughs> it was a political thing and all that. Oh, uh, speaking of which, did I ever ask you if you watched Catherine the Great on Hulu? Uh, no, I don't think so. You should totally watch it. Oh my god. Okay. Because usually I think royal stuff is so boring, but it's actually very good. Okay. Um, I've down. watched it, I watched it two times in a row. Um, anyway, so the engagement was called off after three years, but there were no hard feelings between, um, Mary and Charles. They remained lifelong allies. So Henry was growing more and more impatient about not having a son. He wanted to end his marriage and start again with a different woman, but the Pope said no, can't divorce your wife. And Henry said, no way. So he declared himself exempt from the papal authority, papal? 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 Mm-hmm. Some type of authority. The Pope. Meaning he wasn't going to let the Catholic Church tell him what to do. Henry decided that the King of England should be the head of church and granted himself his divorce. So like, wow. What a move there. He was just like, you know what? I'm my own boss. (laughs) My divorce. Deal with it. So Henry married Anne Boylan and had another daughter, Elizabeth I. At this point, Mary was demoted from princess to lady, and she also got kicked out of her residence and was forced to live with her infant half-sister. When I was a child, I was also demoted of my position and forced to share a room with my younger sister. We had a trundle bed. And she put her foot in my face one night. And I'm for that, sorry. I will never forgive her. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I can relate to Mary. I understand. <laughs> Younger siblings. Um, anyway, so in 1536, Catherine of Aragon died in her castle. Anne Boylan was later accused of treason and was executed. And Henry was married four more times before he passed away in 1547. Thankfully, his third wife, Jane Seymour, had given birth to a son, Edward VI. So, in the order of everything now was, so would be Edward would be the next in line, then Mary, then Elizabeth. So, Edward did rule England, but he was a child during his entire six years of reign. He had some lords that served as regents, so I assume that they were the ones calling the shots. And they just continued to expand Edward's father's changes and were favoring of the Protestant religion. 
Because of this, they wanted Lady Jane Grey, who was the great-granddaughter of Henry VII, to take over the throne uh, when Edward died. And Edward did die in 1533, and the crown was passed to Jane. But Mary hatched a plan to take over the throne. So she did a good old flyer campaign and sent out a bunch of printed proclamations using the military forces to kind of send these things out. And after only nine days of acting as queen, Jane was dethroned. Jane and her husband were arraigned for high treason. They pled guilty and were subsequently beheaded. Mary took over the throne and reinstated her parents' marriage. At the time, the ruling council was a mix of Protestants and Catholics. Mary was not happy with this. She wanted to restore English Catholicism, and in 1554, she got married to her ex-fiancé son, Prince Philip of Spain. (laughs) Good times. Like, we think reality TV shows now are crazy. Could you imagine back then? Really? Seriously? I would pay Mondays. That's what, like, Catherine the Great is, because it's it's just such a good show. Um, so <laughs> the Protestants were really uneasy about this decision. They didn't want to lose all of Henry's reforms, and they were worried about a Spanish king um, trying to take over England. Mary also didn't want a Spanish takeover, so she had Charles consent to leave Mary in full control of England if their marriage didn't result in any heirs, which, spoiler alert, it didn't. Um, So Mary claimed to be pregnant two times, but never ended up having any children. And it was said that Philip found her to be quite unattractive and spent most of his time in their marriage gallivanting around Europe. So Mary not only started to reverse her father's anti-Catholic policies, she also started actively persecuting Protestants. In 1555, she revised England's heresy laws and started burning Protestants at the stake. Wow. Starting with... I know. Insane. It's, I mean, she, I'll get to this later. Um, but so she started with Thomas Cranmer, her father's longtime advisor. And in the end, around 300 people, I read another source that said it was 280. Um, a lot of people. And these were just regular citizens. So not necessarily, you know, it being a political move to do this. It was just regular people were burned at the stake. Uh, Dozens more died in prison. So the Protestants began to flee to Germany and Geneva to escape Mary's reign. In the end, Mary never produced an heir. She passed away at the age of 42 of possible uterine cancer, might have been ovarian cysts, or influenza. I don't know, influenza killed everybody back then, so (laughs) it didn't really have a good guess. Um, So the story sounds bad, I will admit that. She killed a lot of people and in these modern times it's hard to imagine someone being responsible for this many deaths um so the name bloody mary seems quite appropriate however mary wasn't really any worse than her father or any other english monarch when it came to these mass killings uh in the end her throne was taken over by her half-sister elizabeth uh who shifted uh england back to protestantism so maybe if mary had been continued to rule you know if she lived a little bit longer and kept instating her policies england might have remained catholic and mary might have been remembered in a more favorable light i'm sorry i just like poked the mic with my finger (laughs) i talk with my hands it gets very uh (laughs) intense um so history likes to paint her as a cruel vindictive love-struck woman 
but in reality, while she was flawed, she showed that women were just as capable of ruling as men. And yes, she burned Protestants at the stake, lots of them, but her half-sister went on to disembowel the Catholics. So uh, basically, back then, everyone was overly violent and murdery. They're all pretty bad people. Um, there's also a rumor floating around that Mary bathed in the blood of virgins to steal their youth. Uh, a lot of royal women ended up being accused of this, but it's unlikely that she bathed in blood. Um, Did it, it was interesting. This, this article I was reading was talking about how it's, you know, sexism that she was painted in such a horrible light and that, you know, it's like the of same course. thing today where women are you know oh they're nagging this person or like women are judged so much more harshly well by the way they dress or the way they look just look at how like hillary clinton regardless of where you stand in politics how she is viewed versus like how the current sitting president is like viewed Mm -hmm. by certain people you know just kind of like hmm men can get away with anything (laughs) also it's just horrible to me that uh, well appearance just plays so much of a role in how capable a woman is of doing her job um it's not though women can look however they want and still be great at their jobs or terrible and men can same thing it's just we should appearance shouldn't be a factor um so that's the story of mary i think that she was pretty murdery lady so were a lot of people uh, everyone married their cousin. It was weird times. <laughs> but <laughs> so that brings us to the popular ghost summoning game. It's popular among adolescents. Bloody Mary. So who is Bloody Mary? Some say Mary is a witch from hundreds of years ago who was executed for practicing evil magic. So some say Mary is a woman who died in a tragic car accident that mutilated her face. And some say that you are summoning the murder queen herself, Mary I. So the roots of Bloody Mary have started uh, with one of the OG mirror games. So back in the 19th century, young women uh, liked to play this game where you walked backwards up a staircase and passed a mirror as you went, and you would either see the face of your future husband or you would see a skull, meaning you would die before you ever had the chance to be married. Uh, The actual Bloody Mary game that we know today came much later. Some suspect it grew to popularity in the 1970s. Um, So believe it or not, there is a scientific explanation for seeing a different or distorted face. If you stare at a mirror for long enough in uh, poor lighting conditions, it will cause you to see kind of a distorted face. And I think along those lines, that fear and kind of, you know, the adrenaline in that moment can also distort our perceptions and our memories. Mm -hmm. So that is another possible explanation. Or kids lie about stuff. So (laughs) that's true. I feel like if you want some street cred, you'd be like, oh my God, yeah, I totally saw Mary. Yeah. Um, People, children are facetious people. So. (laughs) Wow. That's like a $10 word right there. Yeah. I bet. Are you going to take the GRE or something? Yeah. no, I am not taking the GRE. That is one of my regular words in my regular lexicon. <laughs> That's another $10 word. <laughs> All 
Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor. You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.